0: hey we want to thank you for listening today to a sermon from edwards lake church and we hope that you recognize the message of god as we open his word together and examine his incredible life-changing teaching we pray that this message will challenge you motivate you or touch you in some way let's open the bible together It is good to be back with you. Uh, Thank you for your prayers over the past couple of weeks. I tell you, as I predicted, we, every Sunday, walked away from worship going, we're ready to go back to Edwards Lake. So it's it's a good feeling to feel that way about your home family and community. And uh, we know y'all prayed for us and for our safety, uh, which if you've ever been in a vehicle with me while I'm driving is a significant prayer and uh, we, we thank you for uh, being so generous with your prayers. Uh, we are going to go, go ahead and jump right into our lesson today. We're a little bit off of schedule because of me going out of town, but we're, I've, I've got the uh, the theme lessons that I need to get through for the year, so we're going to continue on with another one of those theme lessons as we talk about what it means to be continually devoted As the early church was, where they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Uh, We have covered the apostles' teaching back January through March, and we are in the process of talking about what it means to be continually devoted to fellowship, trying to make sure that we understand what that relationship looks like, what are our responsibilities towards one another, and that's where we're going to center in on our thoughts today as we talk about being continually devoted. So here's our lesson for today, and I know you can't read a word of that, uh, but they are on the front of your bulletin. So if you have a bulletin, you'll notice the, the, instead of an article today, I put on there 59 passages about what we do for one another. And I hope you will use that and read through that and look at those on your own time uh, as you have some time to open up God's word this week. It is worthwhile to go back and read the context of the different commandments that we have in the New Testament toward one another. Uh, that, That is not a complete list either. Uh, I believe they, uh, some count even up to a hundred commandments about what we are to do for one another, uh, but that is 59 of them that I could fit on the page, and uh, I think they are important ones for us to think about and discuss, and I'll briefly, briefly categorize them as a part of today's lesson. For instance, we as Christians are told that we should be with one another. We have a lot of things we're supposed to do to and for one another. And many of them require presence. They require us to actually be together and spend time together. For instance, John chapter 13 verse 14 tells us to wash one another's feet. Now that's not a physical practice that we tend to engage in but it is something that we by principle should be engaging in and if there were a need to wash one another's feet I would hope we would do it Uh, because we live in a culture of socks and shoes this is A little bit different for us than their sandaled feet that walked on dusty roads and they had a practice of when they would come into someone's house, there would be a servant there who would wash the feet of the guests so that they could have clean feet coming into the home. That was a job of humility. It was a job of service. And that, by principle, is what we are to do for one another. We are to humbly serve the physical needs of one another and I see us doing that all the time Uh, how many of you have just in this month taken food to one of our members here because they could use it because it makes life easier for them how many of you have taken time over the past couple of days to call strip And ask how Hazel is doing and getting updates and then going the extra step and letting everybody else know how Hazel is doing. I I think we've had an update about every two hours for the past two days on how Hazel is doing. And that has been wonderful to have that. Uh, How many of you, through the pandemic, found ways to serve other people and to be focused on the physical needs of others? How many of you have have made that a part of your life? Well, that takes time, and it takes presence, and that's what we're required to do. We're told to live in harmony with one another in Romans chapter 12 and verse 16. I love that description because it, it doesn't... Take very long for most parents to know what living in harmony versus living in disharmony looks like, right? I mean, you, you know, I, I'm, how many of you have, as parents, had the moment where you're like, oh, I wish those kids would just get along? Right, raise, raise your hand. Good, good. How many of you have had the moment where you realize? There's no fighting, there's no arguing, there's no bickering. Everyone's getting along perfectly, and you're like, oh, this is nice. How how many of you? There is a dramatic difference between living in harmony and living in disharmony. We as Christians should live in harmony. Harmony. That idea of getting along, the idea of enjoying one another's company, the idea of preferring one another's company. A little later, Romans chapter 15, verse 14 says, instruct one another. That is hard to do when you don't have conversations, when you don't actually talk to one another, when you don't have uh, a relationship that is based on learning and based on challenging one another to live stronger and more devoted lives to the Lord. It takes time and effort and presence to instruct one another. But shouldn't we be those people? We are commanded to know one another. Romans chapter 14 verse 13 says, Stop passing judgment On one another. 1 Corinthians 12.25 Have equal concern for each other. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 Carry one another's burdens. You know what all of those three commandments require? Us to know the details of one another's lives. That's what it requires. I have been in congregation where no one knows anything about anyone else. And that's preferred, at least by argument, because they say things like, well, they just need to keep their nose out of my business. Not if you're a community. If you are a community, your business is everyone's business. When you are a family, you should know about one another. I, I love that in our home there are no secrets. We use the computer out in the open with everybody else on purpose because we don't want to have secrets. My wife and I tell each other everything. I think all of our kids are comfortable coming and telling mom and dad anything. Because we don't keep secret. We know one another. And we have open conversations about the lives and the struggles and the accomplishments of one another. We build one another up and we sometimes even correct one another when correction needs to be given. But we know one another well enough to make that happen. That same attitude and approach to life should be the approach that the local church family has with each other. We don't hide things. We don't keep things secret. We know one another. We know what's going on. I should know what your struggles and burdens are, and you should know what mine are. You know how I know that's true? Because I can't carry your burdens if I don't know they exist. And you can't carry mine if you don't know they exist. It's one reason I love that our elders talked about and, and, and have followed through with our, our prayer board out in the, in the hallway. It is really nice to be able to go over there and read what is going on in the lives and what is a concern for my brothers and sisters. Whether that be health or accomplishment or difficulties or, or victories, We know what's going on in each other's lives, and that is so helpful because it allows me to carry your burdens and you to do the same for me. We are to prefer one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There we're actually told to give preference to to one another in the same chapter, First Corinthians 11:33. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. The reason that command is there is not because uh, you know that. There was some sort of formulaic structure in which they needed to perform their worship. The idea was, if we are participating in the supper of the Lord together, we will wait for one another so that we are all there and we can all participate together because we don't want anyone to be left out of such a great opportunity to remember. We should prefer one another. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, In humility, consider one another better than yourselves. Each other better than yourselves. All of that involves giving preference to one another. When I compare my friends that I have in the world with my friends that I have in the local community of people who belong to God, who should I prefer? Who, should, who would I rather be with and be around? Somebody who does not have the same goals and accomplish— or, 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 I'm not even sure what word I was going for there. Goals that I do or, or somebody who does? Somebody that I, I associate with, that I have this dramatic difference with, someone in the world, versus somebody that I share so much in common with because we're both pursuing the will of Christ— who will I give preference to? Well, There's a lot that can be said about the people you surround yourself with. Uh, there's an old business statement and leadership book that say, you are the sum total of the five people you spend the most time with. The people you surround yourself with, the people you spend the most time with, if they are negative people, the odds are you are also a negative person because birds of a feather flock together. If they are highly successful people, you are going to be pulled up into being highly successful. And that's the principle in leadership is surround yourself by people you want to be like And they will lift you up. They will bring you up to their level because you are the sum total of the five people that you spend the most time with. So let me ask you, are the people that you spend time with pursuing the will of God in such a way that you admire them and you want to be more like them and you share that in common with them so now you are surrounding yourself with that are you surrounding yourself with people who are pursuing self or worldly things, for a Christian, they will prefer to be with God's people over any other relationship. We are told to be sincere with one another Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you Romans 15 verse 7 says Greet one another with a holy kiss It says in 2 Corinthians thirteen twelve, Confess your sins to one another James chapter 5 verse 16 That idea of being real with other people That idea of, of letting them see you uh, See all your quirks, all your failures, all your accomplishments Letting them know who you really are I have found over the years that we in the church are really good at putting on a performance. Have you ever noticed that? We're good at appearing perfect. We put on our Sunday best. Nice coat and shirt and some of us even go so far as wearing a tie. Sorry. uh, But we, we put on this nice physical look and we we, we fix our hair and we we take our showers and we, we make ourselves look presentable and good. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is when we put on such a pretty outward persona along with the outfit and we pretend to be something we're not, And we hide the things that we don't want people to see and we only let people see the things that we do want them to see and it creates this kind of false relationship because we know deep down if they knew who we really were, they wouldn't accept us the way that they accept who we present ourselves to be. I've seen that so much over the years why I have such a great appreciation when somebody does come forward and say you know I'm struggling with this thing and I need help because there's just a sincerity that goes along with confession and there's a sincerity that comes as a result of confession where other people will come and say hey I want you to know I have struggled with that too or people who, who come and they say, you know what, I, I don't know what you're dealing with, but I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to call you and I'm going to lift you up and I'm going to do everything I can to pull you out of the difficulty that you're, you're fighting through. When you see those kind of sincere, genuine relationships, it makes a difference. We're told to be compassionate toward one another. 1 Thessalonians 3.12 Make your love increase and overflow for each other. It says over in James 5.16 that we should be praying for one another because the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. First uh, Peter 3.8 Love one another deeply from the heart. Uh, I've talked about this before but I, I remember back uh, listening to a lesson years ago And they basically kind of divided up the biblical concept of love into the four Greek words for love. Have y'all heard this presented before? And you got eros, which is kind of the, the, the lust or the erotic type love. You've got storge, which is the Familial type love—that love you get just because you're family. There's phileo, which is the, the the kindness or the brotherliness, the friendship type love, and then there's agape, which is the highest of all loves. It's it's the choosing to treat people right kind of love. It's the the kind of love that God has for us. And I've heard people argue for years: the Bible commands us to agape one another treat one another right, but it doesn't really command the rest it's 100% wrong first of all it's wrong because the Bible does not consistently use those four words separately Uh, we're, we're told that Judah agaped Tamar you're telling me that was a God kind of love right there not at all The Bible doesn't use them consistently. Uh, That's not the point of Scripture. Secondly, though, even if it did, the Bible tells us that we are to have phileo for one another, and it tells us that we're to have storge for one another. That we are to have... If we're following through with those Greek words of love, we are to have a commitment to treating people right, a commitment to feeling right about people, and a commitment to treat them and love them the way that we love our family. We need to make sure that we feel for one another the way Christ feels for you and me. And just like it talks often through the Gospels about how Jesus had compassion on them, so he healed them. And it talks about the way that God loves us with such an immense amount of love. We should be that way towards one another. We're to be humble towards one another. Galatians 5:15. if you keep on biting and devouring each other, you will be destroyed by one another. Galatians five twenty six says, "Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other." Philippians two three in humility consider others better than yourself. Uh, f- Ephesians four two be patient, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians four thirty two be kind and compassionate to one another. First Peter five five clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Do you see all that? You know what that means. That means if I have to choose between serving myself and serving you, I should always choose to serve you. That's what that means. Don't consider myself more important than I am. Consider my brother as important as they are. That's the command we're given. And and I I tell you, we live in a culture that exalts self in such a way that it is really hard to follow through with this command. That idea of we live, we have our own lives, we do our own things, we'll see each other for those hours of a week that we're supposed to see each other, but outside of that, it's me time. That's not scriptural. The relationship described in scripture between brother and brother sister and sister is that i drop everything to serve you to love you to be compassionate toward you that's the biblical example and I, i'll be honest I, I myself struggle with that i love me time and, and if I'm being honest, I don't get enough of it. I have to share it with five children and a wife who wants a break from five children. And, and then I've got to spend some of my me time uh, doing work. And so when I finally get some me time, I, I protect it. It's mine. That, that's for me. Not if I'm a Christian. If I'm a Christian, I humble myself towards serving others. Even if that means sacrificing self and sacrificing time and sacrificing money and sacrificing really anything. We're told that we're to seek the good of one another. Live in harmony with one another, 1 Peter 3.18. Each one should use whatever gift he has to serve others, 1 Peter 4.10. We're told to love one another 15 times in in the New Testament. 15 times. I I didn't spend a lot of time letting you turn to those passages because they're all right there on the front of your bulletin. Uh, And you are welcome to turn to those passages and and look at them and look at the context. But what I want you to be impressed with as you go through that passage is just how much we are to be focused on each other as the church. That it is not about me and it's not about what I learn and it's not about my encouragement it's not about how I feel and it's not about whether I get a lot out of worship and it's not about... None of it's about me. It's about Him. It's about serving you. It's about us being there for each other as we try to make it through this difficult world so that one day together we're all sitting together, not pews apart from each other, but side by side around the throne of God, praising His name and singing as loud as our spiritual voices will allow because we made it together. That's what it's about. And if we get sidetracked from that, we lose what we're really about. Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to start reading here verse 11. And I want to read verse 11 down through 16. Because there's a couple of, of statements here in this short section that I think are important for us to recognize And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry to to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown about by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow up in every way into him who is the head. Christ, from him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. This is what I like to call the fellowship passage. Because although the word fellowship is not used here, This is a description of exactly how the relationship within a church should work. For instance, fellowship is the key to unity. See how many times it talked about unity there. He gave us all these these men in different roles so that they could bring about unity within God's people. This is the key to strength. Strength. Verse 14 down through verse 16 talk about maturity and growth and the joint participation that we all take part in as we grow into the body that God intended us to be, a body that's head is Christ. That's what we are supposed to be. This is the key. Fellowship is the key to faithfulness. It's the key that that allows us to, to be exactly what God Intended us to be and notice here in Ephesians 4 it talked about the fact that we would be Connected to the head as the body of Christ over in Colossians chapter 3 Or excuse me chapter 2 and verse 19. It says this he doesn't hold talking about somebody who who had walked away from the From Christ he doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body Nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God and so there, this parallel passage, Ephesians talks about it positively, that if we are connected to the head, we will remain faithful. Over in Colossians, it talks about it negatively. When we unattach ourselves from the head, we are unfaithful. Fellowship is the key to worship. And here, this idea of, of growing up and, and responding to and being connected to the head involves that sense Of worship. Now here's why I make this a big deal. I have become convinced the more and more I study that the key to being exactly what God wants us to be is not only in having a correct understanding of scripture. And I think over the years we've placed such a great emphasis on that that we have in some ways lost what we really are commanded to be by Christ. We are not merely told to have a correct understanding of Scripture. And we are not merely told there is a prescribed way in which we should worship. And that prescription is not nearly as detailed as sometimes we want to make it. The key to us being who God has asked us to be, to being faithful, to having strength, to being unified, to worshiping Him the right way, it all comes back to us each being in a relationship with God's people the way He intended us to be. Look with me again there in verse 16, Ephesians 4 16. From Him, the whole body. Now, who is the body? Us. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Some of your versions, instead of saying ligament, say what every joint supplies. Does your version say that? What is a joint in the body? Ever thought about this? If I take my, uh, my fingers, which I pop and crack and all that, I got lots of joints in my fingers and my phalanges, right? What is a joint? A joint is where two bones come together, right? It's where one part of the body is in a relationship with another part of the body. And when that joint works properly now all of a sudden the body is able to move and function as it's intended the body of Christ is no different when our relationships are, when, when two parts of the body come together and those two parts of the body work properly it causes the body of Christ to function well when those parts don't work together properly, what happens to the body? It's what we call arthritis, right? Any of y'all struggle with that? How do you like that? Who in here wants to be responsible for giving Christ's body arthritis? Any, anyone? But we do that. When we fail to function as a body, when we fail to function together the way we are intended to function together, we mess up. And we've done that over the years. Uh, When we see the church as an organization instead of as a community, it messes things up. When you've got a board of directors style leadership where there are these men who sit in high back chairs making all the decisions, and nobody's allowed to question or talk to them or have any feedback. It's just men forcing their opinion on the way things should be done. I I see that done in a lot of churches, and it always leads to trouble. Uh, People tend to, in an organization-style church, feel like a number and not a name. As long as we keep our numbers up, that's all that matters. We've been involved in churches where not only is attendance taken, but the attendance percentages are posted publicly for everybody to look at. Because it doesn't matter as much about who you are, it matters whether you keep our numbers up. Is that the way the church is supposed to be? Not at all. It creates a mentality of I need to make sure I put in my time. I I clock in and clock out. I do the things I'm supposed to do. But once I'm clocked out, I'm on my own time. That's me time. Nobody better bother me then. I know even preachers that are that way. That post hours and say, I am available on these days from this time to this time. and, And don't call me outside of that. What happened to brotherly love and a Christian's responsibility to a Christian? I'm not even saying they should do more as a preacher. I'm saying they should do more because they are in a fellowship. And as a fellowship, we should be devoted to each other. People tend to do what's expected, but not much more when they're an organization. Or when the church is merely just an option, there's very little depth of relationship, and that's where you get a lot of flock-flopping, is what I like to call it. People who just move from one congregation to the next, depending on which one makes it easiest. And there's no depth of relationship in that. When we see ourselves merely as a bunch of traditions, we focus on what we do and not why we do it, it leads to trouble. Uh, We tend to attend because that's what's expected out of us, because that's our tradition, not because we really want to be there and encourage and stimulate one another. We take the supper because it's what we do at a certain prescribed time, not because we really want to focus in on what it is the Lord has done for us. We sing because it's time. We bow our heads in prayer because that's what's expected. That's our tradition. And it's no longer about actually growing and developing and being strong. But when I see myself as part of a community I take personal ownership of that. And I'm personally involved in that, and I personally participate with that, and I'm willing to expose myself to people that I trust and that I know who love me, and I'm willing to humble myself in my relationship with others, and I'm willing to be dependent on them, and I take personal responsibility for all that I'm supposed to be doing. You notice the repeated word here? It becomes personal. And that's why I want to ask you today, is being a part of Edwards Lake personal for you? Does it involve you as a whole person? If not, we need to fix that. If not, if you're not... Personally committed to what we're trying to do as a church of God as a church that is trying to do things God's way let's have a conversation I, I don't mean to reprimand you I don't mean to ridicule I, I don't mean to, to say anything negative to you I, I want to encourage you that what we have here as a church is so much more merely an organization that meets once or twice a week. We are a community on which you can depend and which you can trust, which will help you go to heaven. Here's the real difference. We are a community. We tend to focus on strength. If we're an organization, we focus on numbers. I love that we don't post numbers here. I know a lot of churches do. I'm not saying it's wrong to do that post last week's numbers and this week's attendance numbers, and we we keep a running tab on on how all that works. I I love that, that that's not the focus here. We focus on people, not numbers. A community focuses on the core and the, Organization focuses on the fringe. Here's what I mean by that. In every congregation, there are people on the edges that are always just about to fall off. They're on a the precipice. They're, they're, they're just about to fall away. And, and when you're an organization-minded group, those are the people you kind of grab on the, the hems of their shirt and you're trying your best to hold them in there, just trying to keep them in. It's not what a community does. Community's not worried about the fringe, they're worried about the core. And the more you strengthen the core, the more the fringe has something to move in toward, and they want to become a part of that. And, and it gives more opportunity for growth instead of opportunities to walk away. Communities produce closeness, whereas organizations tend to produce structure. We're more concerned as, a, as an organization what we do, not why we do it. A community produces leadership, an organization uh, stresses. I don't mean stresses like gives it emphasis. I mean stresses them out. Stresses out their leadership. Because their leadership has to spend all their time trying to figure out how to hold things together, whereas a community doesn't need to be held together. A community automatically stays together because everybody wants to be a part of it and so the leadership is able to focus on the right things it has distressed me over the years to watch congregation come to it's been several years since we've uh, asked uh, people to possibly want to be elders and and then just time after time there there's no new leadership stepping up there's no leadership being developed there's nobody really being being promoted and i don't mean that like in climbing the ranks i mean they're, they're, that, that role, that, that service job of humbly serving others isn't really stressed in a way that, that makes people want to take that role on. If we are a community that is growing and focusing on the things we should focus on, then we will have new people stepping up to lead. It's just the way communities work. Communities tend to grow naturally. Naturally. the reason it grows naturally is because we're all so excited about what we're a part of, we start telling people about it. Whereas organizations have to work on programs. They have to grow uh, generically. They they have to do things to bring people in because nobody's going to come here on their own. Which would you rather be? Communities tend to expect the best out of their people, uh, whereas organizations tend to expect the least. That's been their experience. People do the bare minimum, so that's what we expect. Uh, Communities tend to be uh, concerned about effectiveness, whereas organizations seem to be concerned about reputation. I can't tell you how many business meetings I've sat in before where somebody suggests an idea and the response is, well, I ain't ever seen Church of Christ do that before. Or, well, I, what are all the other churches doing? We don't want to do anything to, to kind of rock the boat out there. Why not? If it's right, and it's right for this group, who cares what anybody else thinks? Do what is right to serve God as a community despite what anybody else thinks. And if that's your goal, if that's what you're doing, then you will always choose the right thing. A community has a lot of personal involvement and very little need to control things because things just tend to happen. Whereas when you're an organization, you tend to need to control everything and the best way to control things quickly is through fear and manipulation. I've been at a lot of different churches in my life. Some of you have probably only been at a few. I mean, I've I've never counted it up, but it's got to be in the 20s. 20 different congregations in my life. I've seen things done a lot of different ways. And I'm going to tell you what should be obvious but, but isn't. I have come to the conclusion over the years that the best way to do things is God's way. I I know that sounds so obvious, but when you've been at so many different congregations and you've seen them not do things God's way because they think their way is better, and then you watch it fall apart and you watch them eventually shut their doors because they're not doing things the way God commands them to do them. I tell you, why don't we just do things God's way? And trust that He knew what He was doing when He gave us our instructions and when He told us, you need to fellowship together. We trust Him. That's what's important. And we start continually devoting ourselves to fellowship the way we should. I, I know that it's so simple. Truth is, God's way is simple. It just requires us to step out in faith and do it. If we are a community, and if we choose to do things God's way, we're going to see things dramatically take off. I don't say that because I predict it. I say it because it's God's way of doing things. And I tell you, if you don't see things dramatically taking off, then there is a reason to go back and figure out what is failing in our community. God's way always works. And I hope we'll be committed to doing it that way. God's way also works when it comes to salvation. There's no other way. God says if you will believe that he is Lord and you will accept him to be your Lord, and you will prove that acceptance through baptism, having your sins washed away, and then through that he puts you into relationship with him, then you can be saved. And if you've not done that, what's stopping you? Let's do that. Let's be the the kind of person that's willing to obey God and do things God's way no matter what. If you need the invitation to get your life right, to have your sins washed away in baptism, please come forward and let us know we sing this song. Hosanna, you're my key. Thanks for listening and studying God's Word with us. We want to help you draw closer to Jesus as your Lord. If you feel some need as a result of today's message, whether that be a need to seek God's salvation, or you are just in the need of prayers, please reach out to us. You can find out more about us, including contact information, at edwardslakechurch.org. If you want to continue to open God's Word with us, please check out other sermons on our podcast, or come visit with us at Edwards Lake Church anytime you can. Thanks again, and we pray God's blessings for you.